Hi everyone, may peace be on you all and welcome to a very special spooky episode of I'm a Muslim and that's okay. Today, I guess it's the perfect day to indulge in something spooky. One day before Halloween, I was thinking, yes, this is my chance, my chance to delve into something that I've always been more than a little bit into. Even though I think as a child, you know, normally, as all kids are, a little bit afraid of the spooks. And I remember two particular spooks that I was afraid of as a kid, and both of them were basically movie entities. But man, they used to scare me. I remember the first one was from a Disney movie, a really old Disney movie called Child of Glass. And at the very end of the film, there used to be this ghostly apparition that was supposedly taking revenge for her murder. And whenever she used to come up and I used to be so scared and, you know, I, I hated wa- watching that part of the movie, even though the rest of the movie was pretty nice. And the other one was from the film uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And I remember, ooh, that movie used to scare me. The ending used to scare me. The the beginning was really nice. It's a very happy-go-lucky film in the beginning. It's just the ending was more than a little creepy for me as a little kid, you know, little little six, six, seven-year-old, because it featured the very prominent Irish apparition, the Banshee. And oh, when she used to appear, it used to scare the living daylights out of me. Oh gosh, I can still picture her. And not just the Banshee with her wail, with her ghastly wail. I remember that then, at just after that, you could see the team of black horses carrying Stagecoach of Death and the Headless Coachman, the one who used to take the dead souls back into the underworld. Ooh, that was the part that used to scare me so much as a kid. But even then, you know, for some reason, I've always been drawn to, I guess, the mysteries of this world and um, I've always been into legends and legendary creatures you know the usual unicorns mermaids fairies elves lots of urban legends I remember as a kid I used to pour over books anything I could find on things like the the Loch Ness monster monster the Bigfoot and uh, have I didn't have the internet at that time so information on these things was was scarce through newspaper articles and stuff like that but it used to always fascinate me. And uh, we were also exposed to, you know, a lot of Western ghostly apparitions, things like not just, you know, the Banshee, but ghosts and demons. What else? Oh, ghosts, demons, uh, spirits, um, all of these things, you know, there used to be, we used to watch different shows like that. And I remember when I, when I got a little older, my mom is also into scary stuff. And we used to watch uh, this show on the Discovery Channel called Haunting. And we used to watch it religiously, you know, 12 o'clock at night. And and uh, we used to watch it, you know, scare ourselves silly in the middle of the night. But it was good fun. And uh, before, I, before I planned out what I wanted to do for the show, I was thinking, so these are the things from, from the West that, you know, uh, everybody knows about. Ghosts, ghouls, goblins, demons, poltergeists, these sort of things. And I was sitting there thinking... But what do we have in in Pakistan specifically, in the East, that is sort of is the same or is different? And I was thinking, when I was growing up in Pakistan, I think we had a lot of, so, not a lot of, but some crossover supernatural legends and entities. And I guess one of the most well-known are witches. In Pakistani culture... 
There was a time also when witches were strongly believed in, most likely same sort of background, you know, women under suspicion, forming black magic and black cats as well. We have a thing against black cats, unfortunately. I'll get into that later why, but they're considered bad and bad luck. I mean, I, I love me a cat and black cats. I have a black cat as well. But yeah, we have our witches in Pakistan. One of the most prominent, this is A, supernatural, but B, also an urban legend, because everybody in Pakistan is familiar with this one specific kind of witch, and she's called the Pichilberi. Now, this is a little strange because this witch specifically, yes, she's supposedly evil, she stalks people, but her name means feet turned. And what that means is, is that her feet are facing backwards. That's right. And she's always uh, visualized as this young woman. She's partially witch and partial, I guess, wandering spirit, if you want to call it. And she appears as this young woman. Now, I've heard various descriptions of her, generally youngish woman. But her feet are always turned, and you always encounter her in the dead of night. And if you have lived in that part of the world, you know she always appears in the night when you are driving on some lonely road. Of course, isn't that always the trope? And she's trying to hitchhike, basically. And you stop your car. Obviously, woman alone on the road and, you know, you're trying to be the good citizen. So you stop on the road. She asks for a lift to a specific point and you offer her a lift. And then when she enters your car, there's two scenarios that can happen. A, she possesses you and you're never heard from again. Or B, she disappears altogether when you reach the destination. So that's our number one specter from that part of the world. The second one I found was very interesting because she is also a crossover of sorts from the West. In Pakistani culture, I have heard of fairies, but not to the extent as it is in the West. There's a lot more mention of the mythology of fairies, but not in Pakistan, except for one specific fairy. And uh, if you travel to the northern parts of Pakistan, there's this beautiful lake. I've been to this lake and it is engulfed on three sides by these high, gorgeous mountains. And it's called Lake Sefal Muluk. Now, the legend behind this lake is, uh, I'm not going to detail the entire story, but I will put a link in the show notes where you can read the entire story. And the legend is basically that there was a young Egyptian prince his name was Sefal Muluk, and he had a dream in which he saw a beautiful fairy. And he fell in love with her, even though she was a dream, and he started searching for her until he finally reaches the border of this lake. And um, he was like, I've, saw, I've seen this lake in my dream, and this is where this fairy lives, and I must meet her. And uh, as the legend goes, that 
he prays there for 40 days and 40 nights and finally she she appears in front of him and she tells him that I've been held captive by the white giant and you must free me and that's what he does you know in all princely fashions that he frees her and they escape the white giant for, together and uh, legend has it they are still alive to this day because she is immortal and she has granted him immortality as well. So that was one of the most prominent stories we have of fairies in Pakistan. And the third, I guess, I would call her an urban legend. Um, and I think um, an urban legend more specific to the city of Karachi, the city I grew up in in Pakistan, because I'm not sure if um, she is a universal urban legend in Pakistan. Um, but I remember growing up, uh, we used to go out in walks and you'd be able to see these huge um what we call them people trees and it's not like the english people the name is people and in english it's known as the sacred fig and uh, if you ever if you've ever seen these trees these trees have really wide trunks and their canopies don't grow upwards but they sort of extend to the side so they they're really great for shade and everything but there is a creepy factor to them because they have these aerial roots that sort of descend from the branches and, um, you know, they go into the ground and they're there for a purpose. You know, they they give extra support and to get extra nutrient for this tree. But if you ever look at them, like at the dead of night, if you're walking outside, they're pretty creepy. And the urban legend is that there is a witch that exists in this tree. And if you stand under it, she will possess you. And I'm beginning to see that this, you know, the concept of witch is generally not the same as it is in the West. That it's more like of this wandering spirit that is generally malevolent and has this uh, desire to cause harm. As opposed to being, you know, the Western witch of brewing spells and all those things. But so, yeah, those are the three prominent tales or, you know, fairy tales, urban legends that exist in Pakistan. And when you look at things uh, religiously, I mean, in Islam, we have two very prominent supernatural entities, um, one of which is also uh, shared in, um, in Christian and in even Judaic uh, traditions, the concept of angels, which... In Islam, they are necessarily good. They are incapable of evil. And the other supernatural entity that we have are what are known as jinns. And I think uh, people in the West don't fully understand jinns. They often confuse jinns with genies. Um, but that's not exactly how it is. And also recently found out that a lot of people consider jinns to be only evil, just like demons. But that's not how it is at all either. I uh, actually stumbled upon a very interesting uh, podcast by Rabia Chaudhary. It's called The Hidden Jinn. And she beautifully details the history of jinns in Islamic traditions and through a very well-researched podcast about how jinns exist in other cultures as well. And uh, basically, jinns are supernatural entities created by God. They are not all necessarily evil, 
But uh, in our story of the creation of Adam, I think in biblical traditions, it's more that there was an angel that disobeyed God and he was condemned from heaven and he ultimately became Satan or Lucifer. But in Islamic tradition, it's not actually an angel that disobeys God. It is a jinn. Now, this jinn, in our tradition, he's named Iblis. And he was at one time one of the most devout servants of God. He was given a very high rank amongst even the angels. He had a closeness to God. But after the creation of Adam, he became jealous and he disobeyed God. And then he was thrown out of heaven and he swore vengeance upon humanity that he would lead humanity astray as as a form of revenge that how could human beings be given a higher status than him so that is how it uh, sort of plays out in islamic traditions the devil himself is not an angel or fallen angel but he is a jinn and the thing is jinns are in islamic traditions they are entities with the same kind of limited free will as people they also exist in families and tribes and they're spread all over the world they also live and die they get married they have children just like people it's just that their lives have a great deal of longevity like they live longer than uh, people and also they have supernatural powers that human beings don't have they have uh, i mean some of the jinns that i read about had the ability to travel long distances at lightning speed they have super strength and they also have many shape-shifting abilities and that's where sort of the fear of black cats started to exist in pakistani culture because uh, in islamic tradition it is said that they do transform to either cats or snakes when they want to have a physical appearance in the human world. Otherwise, most of the time, good jinns do not interact with the human world, even though they may exist parallel to it. It is generally understood that any jinn that sort of wants to have their present no- presence known in the human world are generally not the good kind. Uh, it's not just that um, it's a common belief in the West that jinns are evil. I mean, if you have ever lived around Pakistani people or lived in Pakistan, even for just a little bit, you know, we do have a slight obsession with jinn and jinn stories and how someone we know has been affected by a jinn. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that we love. It's our campfire stories that we do know somebody who has had a jinn encounter things would move in their house or mysterious noises or swing sets that would swing by themselves. (laughs) We have them all because we absolutely love them. And there was a time in amongst Pakistanis when uh, modern science had not become so prevalent. Uh, Things like uh, prolonged illnesses and epileptic seizures were also of really attributed to possessions by jinns. The other thing is, black magic does also have a hold in Pakistani culture, even though uh, magic and black magic is forbidden in, in Islam, because uh, what it does is two things um, which are expressly forbidden is that it, 
brings us in close interactions with jinns. The thing is, the basis of black magic, according to Islamic tradition, is that you sign a contract with a jinn, and they are the ones who carry out your um, most most of the time. It's not good intention. So they will cause harm to other people because they have supernatural powers. And when you sign that contract with a jinn, more or less you're selling your soul. Because to sign the contract with that jinn, you have to perform a lot of deeds that are generally forbidden in Islam. So that's pretty much the long and the short of it. That's one of those things in Pakistani culture that is pretty prominent, that we do still have this underlying thing with jinns and black magic. It's so much so that even to this day, I know people that the second something goes wrong, they'll be like, oh no, somebody has tried to do magic on me and they'll go to their religious or spiritual leader, whomever it it may be, and they'll be like, you know, you got to create an amulet for me to, you know, ward off evil spirits and uh, evil jinns and so on and so forth. And it's really interesting, you know, how many people still have that really, really strong, I guess, attachment to this this concept. Because the reality is, yes, we do believe in the existence of jinns and that they exist alongside us. And I've heard a lot of theories that they possibly exist in like a parallel dimension to us. But the fact of the matter is that most of them will avoid us under normal circumstances. And really, no one singular person is that important that there's going to be people, you know, trying to perform black magic on you. And I know a lot of people may be, may be thinking that, you know, if jinns are so strong, powerful, they have all these really incredible supernatural abilities, so... Why do they not have the higher status in Islamic tradition as opposed to, you know, human beings? Uh, The thing is, even though with their supernatural abilities, from what I have learned, it's that, that they do not have the same mental aptitude as people. They generally have about the same mental aptitude as about a nine or ten year old human. Their mental abilities don't grow or extend beyond that. So in Islam, human beings are granted a higher status than them because of their greater mental aptitude. Even though we don't possess the same kind of powers, then we have the ability to grow and, and further our mental aptitude whilst the jinn do not. And the other interesting thing that I found out when I was researching jinns is that, you know, there is the main devil, I guess you want to say, main devil who was a jinn, Satan, if you want to call him. And then uh, there are also other Satans that exist, the smaller Satans. Every person, when they're born, they also come with a personal devil, if you might call it, a personal demon, if you want to call it, that tries to, you know, throw us off the, the right path, the straight and the narrow. And they exist with a person throughout their life. You know, they know all your secrets and they know everything that you have done. And when the person dies, person's soul is then taken away, but person's devil exists within the earth until, you know, it's their time to die. And that sort of got got me thinking, you know, about all the ghost story that exists in the West as well, about people seeing apparitions of other people, ghosts of other people. And I was sitting there wondering, it could 
quite possibly be somebody's personal devil having a little bit of fun with us, you know, because they certainly know how their respective human looked like, you know, to transform into the same shape and has all their memories and everything within them. So it would not be very hard to trick a couple of us foolish humans. Hey, something to think about. I hope you guys, you know, enjoy yourself on Halloween. Share a few ghost stories. Share some with me. I love a good ghost story. But remember, three days from now, we have something else that's more than a little scary to come face to face with. November 3rd, it's election day. If you have not already voted, you will be doing so November 3rd, I hope, because it is a scary time for the nation. Far scarier than any ghost story that you could share around the campfire because, let's face it, a lot is at stake. So please, as a public service message from me, please do your civic duty, go out and vote so we can ensure that demons don't come into office that do cause real tangible damage to millions of people, okay? It's about civility now. It's about doing the right thing so that sanity is restored to the nation. And that is the most important thing that you could do right now. Have your good Halloween fun. Have all the candy you want. But come November 3rd, please go out and vote. And with that, I hope I've left you all with a few more chills up your spine. You know, something to share tomorrow on Halloween. But uh, you all take care of yourself and remember, go out and vote and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.